0: I'm Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Prime Time. One hour before Trump announced A.G. Barr would step down, he started putting the squeeze on Barr's replacement. Deputy Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen. Why? He wanted him to investigate some of the craziest of the crazy conspiracy theories. That's speculation. Unnamed sources, I bet. Wrong. There is no more need for media half-stepping on this story. We now have the receipts. Emails that show how Trump, his White House, and allies pressured the Justice Department to take up his stolen election BS. And here they are. Look at this. December 14th, 4.57 p.m. Now, for context, December 14th was the day states certified the Electoral College votes, sealing Trump's defeat. So what was the creator of the big lie doing as the reality was confirmed? Lying, a message from Trump's assistant with the subject line from POTUS. It included talking points about a, quote, cover up of voting crimes, how Dominion machines were compromised and how Secretary Benson lied. All of this in Michigan, where Trump lost dozens of bullet points of conjecture unverified accounts, and in some cases, absolute fiction, including points and counterpoints to be made. Look, this was an obvious political argument device, and that's okay, unless what you're doing is giving it to the Attorney General, and you are the President of the United States, and there is a clear, there's a clear reference that he should take up this cause. Now, On December 29th, Rosen has now taken over as acting attorney general. Trump's assistant sends another email to him and his acting deputy, along with someone else that contained a draft of a lawsuit for the DOJ to sign on to the effort to overturn election results. She wrote specifically, The president asked me to send you the attached document for your review. Soon enough, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows picked up the pressure campaign. New Year's Day, five days before the insurrection, Meadows sends Rosen lunatic videos about Italians using satellite technology to flip our votes. None of this was ever substantiated. In fact, it was debunked. Rosen then forwards it on to his acting deputy, Richard Donahue, who writes two words, pure Insanity, the acting A.G. agrees. In response to another message from Meadows, the same day, pushing to investigate ballots in Georgia, Rosen writes to Donahue. Can you believe this? I'm not going to respond. Donahue writes back. Hey, at least it's better than the last one. But that doesn't say much. Why is this wrong? I'm sorry. I'm tearing. I'm not. It's just allergies. Why is this wrong? Because. The Department of Justice is supposed to be a stand alone. This is deep state deception by definition. Remember why Bill Barr had to say, the president's never called me about opening an investigation. Why? Because if he said, yes, he had, it would be demonstrably wrong and arguably an obstruction of justice if the investigation he wanted him to open was somehow interfering with what was being done to him. You don't do it. you don't put political pressure on the DOJ. Now, that's what this was, matter of fact. And no, the fair counter is not. But what about own this? Are you okay with the president and his patsies pressuring the DOJ to front election fraud fictions? The answer is no, and you know it. So don't make it okay because it's your side. Don't make it okay because you believe Democrats did other things that piss you off. Don't do it because you think Trump is being victimized. Either it's okay or it isn't. And you know it isn't. Now, can Meadows defend these as appropriate? No. When CNN asked him about them, you know what he said? I'll let you answer that. Obviously, I'm not going to comment on anything that may or may not have happened. Oh, it happened. And he knows that we know it happened. And yet he still still plays it as a conditional. Why? Because the truth is meaningless when you are about fronting mere belief. This was a concerted effort to manipulate government institutions for Trump's personal benefit, period. We also know that while Trump was asking his DOJ to help him cling to power, he was also pressuring state officials in Georgia, remember? To find him votes, All I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have because we won the state. And, And just to be clear, Georgia didn't oblige. Remember, he was told by a real Republican that there was no fraud to fix. That's your problem, Mr. President. Remember that? Any doubt as to whether there was any good faith basis for any of this was killed by former acting A.G. Rosen last month. And here it is.
1: There was no evidence presented of widespread fraud of a sufficient scale to overturn the election.
0: Yes, it does look like a hostage video, but it was what he decided to use as a backdrop. And look, it's the words that matter. We now have the proof of Trump and Coe's perfidy. They abused their power for the worst reasons, period. The question is, now what? Better Minds, one of the House Intel Committee Democrats targeted by Trump's Justice Department, Congressman Eric Swalwell, and the chair of the House Oversight Committee, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. Good to have you both on primetime. Great Thanks to be with you, Chris. Here. Uh, Congressman Maloney, I'll start with you. Uh, Thank you both for joining us tonight. We'll do two blocks because there's a lot of things I want to ask you about. But on this, um, what do you believe the operative effect of these emails are, um, Representative Maloney?
2: Well, it it shows uh, clearly in documents uh, that the president of the United States tried to corrupt the Department of Justice uh, to have him claim that that it was not a fair election election. Uh, it was shocking to me that they literally uh, provided the, the Department of Justice with a brief and asked them to forward it to the Supreme Court uh, arguing to overturn the election. And then the efforts in Michigan and, and, and Georgia and everywhere else, find me votes, uh, literally trying to steal the election. It was a um, horrifying uh, effort to try to steal an election.
0: So as obvious as, as it is, Representative Swalwell, it's almost equally as obvious that you can't do anything about it. We better, uh, Chris, uh,
3: because, you know, Donald Trump despises nothing more than losing. And he was the biggest loser in his presidency, not only because of the landslide lost, but also because uh, he tried to test our democracy and he failed. But he just barely failed. And now it's on us because he will get better. He wants to run again He's got a lot of wannabe cronies who think they can fill you know, a Trumpism void if one exists. And so if we don't get better, they will get better.
0: But right, let's talk about this. Uh, Representative Maloney, I'll bounce it back to you. I, I would make the argument that uh, I think even from the Biden perspective, uh, Trump in the rearview mirror is better. Every time uh, you bring him under any scrutiny, you give him a new opportunity to play the victim. Uh, but even if, you believe there are avenues to accountability. What would they look like, Representative Maloney?
2: Holding President Trump accountable for his actions?
0: Do you think you can?
2: Oh, I I think that we are just beginning this uh, investigation and and, uh, uh, we have seen shocking failures at the FBI, at the DOD, uh, and really uh, uh, an almost unbelievable attempt to manipulate an election to his benefit. Uh, I I think that we have to get the facts, but I think that uh, it should be thoroughly reviewed, thoroughly researched. And uh, personally, I think he should be convicted.
0: I hear you. Uh, And I'm not here to, you know, play the cynic or, you know, the hollow pushback. But uh, Representative Swallow, you you know, we need to know the truth, Representative Maloney says. Of course. But we do. We know about his role in paying off women. We have the checks. Uh, We know about him trying to fire Mueller. We have his lawyer. We know about trying to bribe U.K. Crane. We have the transcripts and his lawyer. Um, We have him playing down a pandemic for politics. We have the Woodward excerpts of him admitting that he knew uh, that he should have not been calling it a hoax when he was. And now pressuring state officials. We have him on tape, checks, tapes, transcripts. We have all of it. It does not matter to his people. It does not matter to the members of his party. I had Congressman Chris Stewart on last night. I couldn't get a question out of his mouth but he was, before he was saying, but what about the Democrats? What about Antifa? What about this? What about that? You're not going to get them on the side of any accountability. So what's the upside? Uh, well,
3: one, I would love to be the prosecutor on this case, Chris, but knowing my act and my scene, I'm a legislator. So we should learn from this and pass Adam Schiff's Protect Our Democracy Act which puts in place a fast track on congressional subpoenas because we're way behind on this. We should have been able to get a lot of this information while he was president. But Donald Trump was a legal terrorist. He knew he could wait us out. He did. And so we weren't able to hold him accountable in real time. Mr. Schiff's bill creates a fast track so we don't have to wait as long. I also think President Biden should tell the Department of Justice, lift that policy that says no president can be indicted as president. President Biden is not going to lead corruptly. He doesn't have to worry about that. But no president in the future should have that immunity to think that they can act so corruptly and they can just run out the clock and never be held accountable. So there's things we can do now to make sure that this doesn't happen again, whether it's Trump in the future or, you know, another corrupt president, Republican or Democrat, that comes along.
0: Okay. so you changed that rule, Representative Maloney. And if there were going to be accountability, do you believe that what you now know could sustain charges against Donald Trump? Uh,
2: I, I, I've got to think that anyone who reads this uh, knows how horrible the whole situation is. Uh, I thought I would never see the peaceful transfer of power disrupted, that an election was on the a verge of being stolen. He almost succeeded in a coup uh, taking over the country. Uh, There is a lot of work to do. We definitely need a 9-11 type commission to to look at all of this and and, uh, come forward with recommendations uh, that are based on the facts uh, so that this never happens again. It is shocking beyond belief what we are unfolding in these hearings and we are just starting. We just got these... uh, documents on Friday. Uh, we couldn't get them released before. Under, under Trump, we never got any document released. Finally, under President Biden, we are getting the documents that we requested in December are finally coming through. And what we are seeing is absolutely uh, shocking beyond belief.
0: So I asked these two lawmakers to stay with me uh, through the break tonight to now talk about January 6th, why it matters so much and what the options are going forward, because you're not going to have this joint commission, no matter what capitulations were given uh, to the party of Trump, because they don't want it in the Senate. So what do these lawmakers think Speaker Pelosi should do about January 6th? What does it matter? What could be done? Um, And we know what the stakes are, but what are the answers? Right after the break. In all my years in this business, I have never seen anything as obvious as the infamy of January 6th be held up through a complete lens of political perspective. I've never seen anything like it. It's like literally 9-11 being seen as you know, something materially different than what we all watched and lived. And yet that's where we are. And it's happening on a lot of levels. And we're very lucky to have two big deal Democrat lawmakers who will be driving the train about where we go on this because you're not getting a joint committee. The FBI director was back on the Hill today answering questions about the infamy of January 6th. And it's really telling that in the span of about a week, his answers seemed to change. Listen. Prior to
1: January
3: 6, did the FBI receive any tips from social media companies about threats to
1: the Capitol? I'm not aware that we had any um, intelligence indicating that hundreds of individuals were going to storm the Capitol itself. My understanding is that they sent emails to a particular field office and that some of those contained possible threat information, and some of them were referred to domestic terrorism squads.
0: We were very fortunate to have the two members with us who asked those questions, Representatives Eric Swalwell and Carolyn Maloney, who heads up uh, the committee, the... Um the um, commission that brought us the emails about explaining what's going on with the White House. So thank you very much for joining me for a second segment here. Um, Look, you guys weren't asking tricky questions where you could argue, uh, you know, this was tough. You guys were so in the weeds. He didn't know where you were coming from. Um, That's not the case. Representative Swalwell, do you believe that the FBI director got new information that changed his answer to Maloney from what he had said to Swalwell a week ago?
3: I I don't know, uh, Chris, but his answer did change. And I want to be clear. I do not blame the FBI for what happened on January 6th. Mm -hmm. This was Donald Trump uh, entirely and the people that followed him. Uh, But it's our job to make sure in the future that law enforcement, whether it's the FBI or Capitol Police or D.C. police, are better prepared. You know, I I have an African-American staffer who said to me uh, the day of the 6th, he was at the Capitol with me, and he said, you know what, boss, he said, if this was a black protest this scale and this much online chatter about what they were going to do. He said, we wouldn't even be allowed to get on planes. We'd be pulled off planes in all these cities across America. And I, it just killed me that he thought that there were two systems of justice in our country that, you know, if it was a Black Lives Matter protest, that there would be a lot more law enforcement. I hope he's wrong about that. But I do believe that we know Donald Trump intends to come back in August. That's what he's telling people. QAnon theories are out there right now that they're going to get more aggressive. So we can't be as passive as we were Mm -hmm. in allowing something like this to happen again.
0: Uh, Look, Representative Maloney, I know you as the chair of the Oversight Committee uh, these days, but literally you've been explaining things to me for most of my life. Uh, And one of the things that I can explain to you about this is, I don't know about two systems of justice, but I do know this. If the Republicans were the aggrieved, although I think they should be, about January 6th, people were looking for them. They wanted to hang Mike Pence. They put up a gallows. I believe that they would have had a concerted effort to never let us move past that moment. It is all they would have talked about. They would have demonized all of you. They would have done nothing if they had the power that you guys have, but look into every nook and cranny and Biden wouldn't have moved an inch otherwise. Are they better? at political warfare than the Democrats?
2: Chris, we won the election. Thank God. I, don't, uh, I, I think that uh, uh, we have more substance and, and we're working for the right reasons, so I don't think they're better. And, and uh, I, I think that we just have to, to work very hard on this. This is very shocking what happened. Uh, first of all, it has to be investigated to see how far the rot goes. I was personally surprised and shocked by the documents that we received on Friday. And the ones that we're asking for are even more important, which we intend to get. We need to thoroughly research this. I think you're right. We're not going to get a commission because a commission would be looking at the President of the United States, and the Republicans certainly don't want to do that. So the best we can do is have a select committee, which I hope the Speaker will uh, decide to do, but that the various committees that have jurisdictions, such as the one that I'm honored to chair, continue with their investigations. We revealed today in the hearing a, a shocking example of an intelligence failure at the FBI. We had 50 documents warning the FBI very explicitly from Parler on social media, this is war, do not be surprised when we take the Capitol. All kinds of violent conversation. And the director of the FBI testified that he was not aware of this. Well, if that's true, that is a, a, a phenomenal failure of the FBI. that has got to be corrected in the future. Quick follow-up. And in our hearings, this was the second one we had. Uh, no one was in charge. In the first hearing, uh, DOJ said they weren't in charge. DOD said DOJ's in charge. No one even knows who was in charge. There was no planning. There was no co- coordination. Uh, it was a, a failure in so many ways. And we need to correct this. We need to strengthen our democracy.
0: Quick follow what do you want that you've just asked for in terms of documents that you believe are even more important than what you've gotten?
2: Stay tuned. <laughs>
0: It's a good tease. You should be in my business. All right. So let me ask a different but question. I will say, Go ahead, please.
2: Chris, Chris, Chris you Got to look at DOD. You got to look at DOD. They were just even more shocking than uh, the FBI in their testimony today. This is the United States military, and they did not protect the capital of the United States when the vice president's life was in danger, the speaker's life, many, many members of Congress, their staff, the clientele working there. They couldn't protect the capital of the United States. We documented 12 times that they were called frantically, come in, help us, help us, send in the National Guard. And they decided that they were resisting going in. Why? We, we need more hearings. We need more documents. We need to get to the bottom of this. Why did the greatest military in the, United, in the world uh, fail at protecting the capital? And they were there.
0: So at the same time, uh, Representative Swalwell, that Maloney wants to move the train in terms of who knew what and when and why. You have equal opposite energy in the party of Trump where I had Chris Stewart. And again, you know, he's not known as being an out of fringe player. OK, you know him. You know him well, I'm sure, Eric. So he says last night, I think the FBI got it wrong. I don't think it was an act of terror. Certainly wasn't a coup. It's not an insurrection. Uh, It's no worse. In fact, it's not as bad as what we saw largely a summer or so before where they were burning down courthouses and they were doing this and they were doing that and nobody really cared. That's much worse. The American people believe that's much worse than January 6th. What do you think of that intent, let alone of the truth of the basis? Well, burning down
3: courthouses is, is wrong Chris, uh, but I also saw last night in that interview that Chris Stewart said he voted to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee, and you had to later correct that—that he actually did not vote to do that. And so, Chris, John Dean said fifty years ago that there's a cancer on the presidency, and now we see that when Donald Trump was president, he was the cancer, and he not only destroyed rule of law, systems of justice, democracy that cancer has persisted and has affected people who I had served with and really liked, like Chris Stewart, who are trying to rewrite history as far as January 6th. And look, this is now a party that is rolling with the cop killers. Paul Paul Gosar today called the officer that saved so many lives an executioner. 21 Republicans voted against giving the police officers on January 6th the gold medal. And Kevin McCarthy still refuses, even though he's saying he would, to meet with officer Mike Finone. They are a dishonor the police party, all because that's what you're supposed to do to honor Trump. You dishonor the police.
0: Mm. I saw you. Uh, I'll let you guys go. But I saw you, Congresswoman, smiling um, at the idea that I had to catch Stewart faking something that's so easy to know, which is which way you voted on something. And I know it's laughable because you're like, what do you think he was going to get away with it? He will. Because on his side of the ball, they don't care that he gave bad information about his vote. They came after me for losing an interview, which I don't even think is possible. But that's how they play on that side. And I'm just telling you, it's often a winning strategy. But thank you very much. I promise you this show will follow all of your efforts all the way through. Congressman Swalwell, thank you. Congresswoman Maloney, as always, a pleasure and thank you.
2: Thank you, Chris. Thank you.
0: All right. We will stay tuned. The most critical meeting of President Biden's first trip abroad is just hours away. And this isn't hype. It matters. Going face to face with Putin matters, especially now, because you know that Putin is an intelligence man. He's an intelligence operative and he speaks English. He just chooses not to because it's part of the canard. Now, he got a free pass to mess with our democracy for years by the last guy, as Biden calls him. What is the best way to deal with Putin in this meeting? What has to happen? What can't happen? Why does it matter? And what does the mindset have to be for Biden? Those are hard questions to answer. Unless you know someone who knows all about Putin, how he worked last time, how he wants to work this time, and wants to help Biden be in the right place for the sit-down. So we can get our answers. Next. This is a hype-free zone, or at least I try to make it that way, Um, but Biden sitting as the United States president across from someone who has been eating this country's lunch for the last X years matters. Vladimir Putin is no joke. He played Trump. He got his way. He didn't care. He grew at home and he made us look weak abroad. Biden is hoping the Geneva summit will be the start of a, quote, stable, predictable relationship. Now, I don't know that either of those things are even possible. But when you call someone a killer, the way Biden has referred to Putin, it's really just about how to convey strength without creating an outsized risk uh, for this country. So how do you do that, especially with this brazen Ransomware cyber attack thing going on, in addition to election meddling, which remember is on the increase. Let's get after it with someone who actually helped President Biden prepare. Former NATO Deputy Secretary General and Under Secretary of State for Arms Control, Rose Gottemiller. Rose, I want to know if I you saw me smile when I say your name, it's because they were telling me in the control room how to say it. And my producer was saying, got a Miller, like got a Miller Light." So now every time I think of you, that's the way I'm going to say your name. But now you let's- got it, Chris. You've made my cousin in Ohio so happy. That's his <laughs> uh, his handle. <laughs> so uh, let's talk here uh, and let's do it a little bit. As uh, we'll set the stage about why it matters. And then I want to role play a little bit about if Putin's coming a certain way, what matters uh, for Biden in that circumstance, because that's your genius, is that you understand where his head is and what the games are and how they need to be countered. But the floor is Helsinki. At Helsinki, Putin sat there pretending he doesn't speak English, listening uh, to the President of the United States take his side over the United States intelligence agencies. And I heard about it for months afterwards, as I'm sure you did, from all kinds of sources I have in the intelligence communities and in Russia saying, wow, wow, did he eat your lunch? How big a deal was that and why?
4: Uh, Well, I was hearing a lot about it from the NATO allies who were really spun up. So, yeah, it was a big deal. And it was a sign of somebody who wasn't prepared for that meeting and didn't know what he was walking into. You know, Chris, I am a little tired of this notion of Putin, the negotiator who is omnipotent. He loves to play games, but all negotiators love to play games. Russians are pretty good at it. But I think that it's not necessary to consider him some kind of negotiating god that you can't handle,
0: because I think Joe Biden can So what does that look like when he sits down and Putin says to him, hey, I don't have anything to do with your elections. This is all hype from your media and ransomware. I don't know who's doing what any more than you know what people are doing in the United States if they don't work for you. What are you going to say? Well, this is their line all the
4: time about these hybrid methods that they're using, where, you know, they are they are trying to get into our cyber systems. They are going around and behind and underneath and never coming out and saying what they're doing in the open. This is a consistent Russian government line. It doesn't only come from Putin. So all Biden has to do is say, that is not the information we have. And I am extremely well informed. And you know about the strength and the power and the understanding of our intelligence community, which Putin doesn't understand as a former KGB man. People love to say that he is a former KGB man. But don't forget, he's been president of uh, the Russian Federation since 2000 now. And he's gone a long way from his time as a lieutenant colonel in the KGB. So does Biden
0: have to overwhelm with information or is it about resolve? Is he there to make the case or just to have a stone face looking at Putin and saying, I know what you did and you're not getting a pass, I'm I'm coming for you. Like, How strong is the right posture?
4: I think that uh, it, it depends. They both said publicly that there are areas of mutual interest for the countries that they want to ensure, for example, that we don't end up in a nuclear war. And so therefore, they're going to continue to talk about nuclear stability and how to get a handle on nuclear weapons, how to reduce and limit nuclear weapons. These are mutual interests, not only for Russia and the United States, but for the globe as a whole. There are other areas that they need to work on together. And I've been interested to hear Biden say, let's sit down and talk about Ukraine together. This is important because even during the Obama administration, it was left to the Europeans, to Macron, to Merkel in Germany and, uh, and France to, to work with the Ukrainians and Russians So I think it's a really good, good thing that Biden said, I want to try to tackle this issue and, you know, get the Russians out of the Donbass, begin to resolve the problems that resulted from the invasion of Crimea in 2014. So that's a mutual interest.
0: So first of all, uh, what do you make of the political criticism that Putin doesn't deserve a summit? And second, to the extent that you're going to have one, um, why be broad? about areas where we can work together. Why not start with the, you're trying to destroy our democracy.
4: Uh, Well, I do think that is where they are going to start. And I think there's going to be some very tough talk for a good long time. I noted today that they've announced they're going to have a small meeting first with just the two uh, ministers of foreign affairs, the secretary of state, Tony Blinken and Lavrov, the minister of foreign affairs and then the two presidents. That's the time to have a very direct discussion, no holds barred about the concerns we have about Russian malfeasance. Then then they can go into a larger meeting with other experts there where they can talk about some of these, these tough issues that again, if we can get some, some cooperation moving on them, we'll end up in a more stable place ourselves, for ourselves and also for our allies. Does Putin have any reason to work with you on anything? I think so. Absolutely, first and foremost, and you noted it at the outset in talking about Helsinki. He loves to be a leader on the world stage. He loves to stride the global stage and, and be the powerful figure there. So honestly, you know, this is a great deal for him. And one reason that he apparently hesitated to take the beating, For the longest time was that he was afraid that he would just get lectured to publicly by joe biden and that it would make him look bad that's what happened when he went to a g20 meeting uh, back about 10 years ago and he wasn't very happy about it at all so i think that he is feeling also anxious going into this meeting and thinking how can i come out of it looking like i'm a leader on the global stage so it'll be up to biden both to convey our concerns strongly, to make sure that he understands in no uncertain terms, but also that the public understands. That's important that they're not gonna have a joint press conference where again, Putin can play games. Biden can come out and say, this is what we talked about. This is the the message that I laid down. And here are some areas we're also gonna try to develop some mutual uh, interest in, some mutual cooperation in.
0: I think that's really a good way to go. It was a wise decision. Rose Goddard-Miller, do me a favor, after the summit, uh, will you come back and help us understand why what happened happened? I certainly will, I'll be happy to, Chris. Thank you very much, appreciate you uh, kind of setting the table for where our president's head is moving into this, thank you very much. My pleasure. All right, so there's new controversy over policing in America. Um, Have you seen the video? Somebody's vaping on a boardwalk, you're not supposed to. It then turns into this, uh, and it gets a lot rougher than what we're showing you right now what is right what is wrong and on whose part let's take it apart next the video has gone viral why officers kicking tasing black kids allegedly violating a vaping ordinance so this is about the ocean city maryland police now i'm supposed to warn you this is disturbing you know how I feel, it's reality. If you want to deal with reality, look at reality. In the first, you can see an officer beating up a teenager. Knees him several times in his side. According to police, officers first approached the 19-year-old on the boardwalk who they say refused to stop vaping or show ID and became disordered. Uh, in another video, you can see another teen in that crowd being tased, led to four arrests. Separate incident from the weekend, yet another video shows an 18-year-old being tased as well. Both of these incidents are now being investigated. Let's discuss with Bark. Anthony Barksdale, uh, former acting chief of the Baltimore police, uh, spent a lifetime of service policing the streets. It's good to see you, Bark. Good seeing you, Chris. Um, First quick point is, see, there you go again. You And that bald guy from Baltimore making this seem like this is all police do when this is like one random situation out of thousands that officers deal with. And these guys wouldn't comply. They wouldn't listen. And what is an officer supposed to do? It's not on them. It's on both. And don't make so much of it. What do you say?
5: I say that's nonsense. The police officer ultimately has the greater duty, the greater responsibility to do the right thing in these incidents. And time and time again, you have shown, you have shown that that's not the case when it comes to minorities in these incidents.
0: So you're working the job. They come back and say, you know, we had to tase this kid. He wouldn't listen to me about the vaping. And I said, they give me the ID, Start giving me lip, I had to tase him. What do you say? I wanna know
5: everything. I wanna know from beginning to the point where you use force, the end i want to know how is the kid you know are his his parents contacted what's going on so this is not we can't see people being tased and we don't do full investigations it is a use of force and we need to know everything and unfortunately we're seeing tasers involved in these incidents and it's starting to build up i think of dante right taser taser And the officer shoots him dead.
0: Well, so except in that one, that's a one off because she says, you know, she said taser, taser. She had a gun in her hand. Um, That's not about the decision to use the taser. That's about not knowing the difference between a taser and a pistol, despite being such a senior officer. Then I'm
5: questioning tasers at this point. Right. If, Uh, If we start to see a pattern, we have to look at what's going on with these tasers and our officers.
0: Now. One other point that I've heard, and I'm sure you've lived it and heard it. Um, someone on the job said to me, watching these videos, I want to see you in the middle of this crowd. And I said, well, hold on a second. There are cops around. He goes, there are a lot of people around. This guy's fighting me, and I may not win. What do you do? Is that a fair point of analysis?
5: Are we, if we're using the incidents that we're seeing, we're seeing significant amounts of officers right there. If I'm losing or if you're losing, I'm right there to back you up. You're right there to back me up. It's not like it's one-on-one what we're looking at here. And the equipment that they have on their uh, gun belts is, is there for that reason. If you need it, use it. But we can't justify the knees that we saw with the one officer. Oh well, you can't do it. Oh
0: so, all right, I hear you. Look, I want to keep talking about these things because, you know, there are a lot of people out there Anthony, uh, you know, Barksdale knows this. He's done the job his whole life, who believe people are fighting back now because they've been fed a narrative that the police are the problem uh, and not the solution. And I know you don't believe that. I know you've spent a lifetime as a police officer uh, training people and keeping communities safe. And that's why we have to keep talking about this show. What's wrong? um, uh, You know, when it's somebody who does something to a cop or when it's a cop doing it to somebody else. I appreciate you, Anthony Barksdale. All right, Chris. All right. I'm sorry about the ball joke. You got a perfect head, by the way. It's a perfect head. It's all right. If I had the same shaped head, I'd shave mine too. All right. I have a bolo (laughs) ahead. I got to be careful because Bark will slap me around like there's no... All right. So I have a bolo. Be on the lookout. Why? We had something happen on the show last night that is really instructive of where we are, but also where we could get. Next. I got a bolo. Be on the lookout. It was proof of the problem, but maybe hope for better. First, the problem. Congressman Chris Stewart, Republican, Trumper, Utah, on last night. Uh, We were getting after it, and he was insistent that I was wrongly connecting him to efforts to embrace a QAnon kook in the party's ranks. It went like this. You put both arms around Marjorie Taylor okay. Greene and you brought uh, her into your conference. That's what you well, did. No, we, no, I didn't. I didn't vote for her in her district. The people in did her district. Did you vote district. to have her removed from the yeah. committees? I actually did. No, we didn't. Why did he fudge that or misspeak? I'm waiting on an answer, probably heat of the moment, desire to win a point. Uh, and also, he knows that the truth doesn't really matter as much on his side that it's just about winning. And I corrected him later in the show. Now, I think that's pretty interesting by itself. It's pretty rare that you catch somebody that red-handed. But let's get to the real interesting thing, the real problem. The right fringe after the interview jumps to say that he cleaned my clock in the interview, which is not only not accurate, but not possible. It's an interview, not a fistfight. But more importantly, it shows us the problem of the fringe and what it's about. Us and them owning the media, creating conflict. It's a fight. Much of it was just Twitter toxicity in the beginning. Not that the mainstream media doesn't too often see that as a proxy for insight and start reporting on what these people are saying on Twitter. We don't even know if they exist. But then the Daily Caller tweets out the headline, taking Stewart's word for what happened and making the point that I got, you know, I'm getting beat up, I'm getting worked, you know. So I jump on them for being wrong. And challenged them, asking, are you going to own that in the rush to be rabid, you got it wrong? Or are you going to be like your founder, the fire-breathing fop over on Fox, and just front a fraud? You know what the Daily Caller did? They added a correction to their story. And I gave them respect for doing it. But here's the interesting part about the state of play to me. How deep the discontent goes. They didn't take down the original tweet. They know it's dead wrong. Why didn't they take it down? They corrected it because they want to take the shot at me. That's the currency. And that is the problem. But here's the hope. They had to own they were wrong. And Stuart and I disagreed on right and wrong, but we did so with decency. If we can continue to do that, dialogue, even heated, can beat a demagogue. We'll be right back. Thank you for the opportunity to get after it. It is now time for the big show. Don Lemon tonight with its star, D. Lemon. So, did you ever hear? I didn't get the last part of the show because, did you ever hear back from Chris Stewart? His office. No. But Daniel Dale was told by his office that he misspoke. Frank, he what? I thought it was pretty clear, but okay.
1: Do they actually think like maybe they're used to going on platforms where they're not challenged and that people just sort of buy whatever it is that they're saying and just move on as if it's gospel?
0: Yes, comma, and he has an advantage. His side doesn't care if he lies or misspeaks Mm -hmm. or gets it wrong or fudges because he was just trying to win the fight. And it doesn't matter because I'm worse. And it doesn't matter because he's their guy. And it doesn't matter because he's still in the right because he's being victimized. See, look, uh, Representative Maloney didn't like when I said this tonight. Uh, All due respect to her and the oversight committee putting out those emails about what Trump was trying is huge. I say, I think they're better than you at this. If they had been the aggrieved on January 6th and in the position the Democrats are in, you and I would have never been able to move on from it. I probably would have been in Washington, D.C., for three weeks covering it because it's Mm -hmm. all the Republicans would have been doing is saying, we must put down the civil war. It's all they would do. Biden would be able to be nowhere else. Yeah. You get no argument
1: from me on that. And imagine, as we have said, and many have said before, if the tables had been turned on January 6th, just imagine if it was people of a darker hue, what would have happened? Just imagine if it was, you know, supporters of Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or, I mean, uh, we would still, that's all we would have. That's all we'd be hearing about from the right and especially from state run
0: media. I mean, look, it's not even fair to make a color comparison because all the stakes fly up, you know, you'll get your <laughs> ass beat for vaping. You know what I mean? You yeah. don't stop vaping right away uh, yeah. and you talk tough to a cop. Uh, there's, you know, there's a too good in, an index of problems. Yeah. So, Let's leave Colorado this just for now because it's too obvious what happens there. Right. Politically, I just believe they play to win, Don, and that it, it's like the old Raiders. Yeah. Just win, baby. You so know how I Chris feel about Chris Stewart this. lied.
1: I, I don't disagree with you
0: on that. Let's just, let's, no, 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 he misspoke. Let's say he didn't lie. Let's say he misspoke. I don't know how you forget the only vote on an issue that you took that just happened that was covered by everybody, but I'll give him the benefit yeah. of the How doubt. long
1: did the misspoke thing take to— I mean, they never
0: answered us. They answered Daniel Dale
1: today. How easy is that? It's like, oh, wait a minute. I was just on with Chris and I said something wrong. I better have my people call him and and explain to him that that's not what I meant. That that would have
0: taken all of what, five minutes? They don't have to admit any mistakes. Well, they don't have to admit them because their side doesn't care. Well, All they're saying on the right fringe is, but what about this? What about that? What about these people? What about that? What about the Democrats? Why don't you talk about this? You don't have to tell the truth. But we have to hold them accountable. That's the job. That's what we got to do. And I got to get on to my job. my well, friend. look, you got a tie on tonight. I know I what you're going to talk about is very serious. And I'll be watching because I love you. D-Low. You know why I have a tie on? Because the, someone who was there
1: the last time a president was in Helsinki is joining me now. And she's also been advising the current president on his meeting with Vladimir Putin. And so we're going to talk to her. That is very important.
0: I thought you meant me. I was in Helsinki.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I meant someone who's important. Oh, thank you.
0: My mistake. Yes. I misspoke.
1: (laughs) Well, at least
5: you corrected it. (laughs) I'll see you, brother. Good night, brother. Good night. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like.
1: A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.